you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 to 22. I'm sorry, verses 20 to 28. Uh, We'll finish out chapter 7 this morning. Hear then the Word of God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made priest with an oath. By the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Now this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make an intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, Innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we have gathered to you this morning to worship you, to know you, to love you, to hear from you, that you might meet us, that you might speak to us, that you might change us, that you might make us more like Jesus. Father, have your way among us. Let us see Jesus in the fullness of His glory, that our trust may be in Him and Him alone. For in His name we ask and pray, amen. For a minute, just try to put yourself uh, back in the time of Jesus, right? Just try to put yourself, it's the year zero when Jesus is being born, or maybe 5 BC or, you know, around that time. When Jesus is born, if you're in that time, all you have is the, is the Old Testament, right? You're living there in, in Israel, all you have is the Old Testament, you, you read it and you study it, it's being taught to you by your parents, you hear it in the synagogue, and it's, it, is, it is the fullness of your understanding of who God is and, and religion, of how to live. So if you live in Jerusalem, say this is where you are, you're in Jerusalem at that time. Right? You live near the temple. The whole of Israel's life and its religion and its worship centers around this grand temple. They come several times a year, three or four at least, uh, to the temple for festivals and worship. 
The priests are there all the time, and if you live near the temple, you would see them in their, in their elaborate garb. It's described in the Old Testament, their robes and their ephods and their hats and the things and the accoutrements that come with their, their office. It's quite a grand spectacle, this temple and all that is going on there. It's busy, it's bustling. You hear the sound and the smell of animals. There's a buying of sacrifices. In fact, it's happening in the Gentile court where Jesus is very unhappy to find it, but that's close to the place of sacrifice. It leaves the Gentiles out of the picture, unfortunately. Uh, But they're buying and selling these these animals for sacrifices. There are these formal ceremonies going on every day. The smell of blood. The smell of sacrifice. And you live there in in Jerusalem, and it's it's the fullness of your life. It's the center of Israel's life for a thousand years. No, 1,500 years, a millennia and a half. This is the life of Israel. The Pharisees and Sadducees, you see them around. They're in their long robes, right? They're known for their long robes and their long prayers. They want to be seen in their praying. So they're around town showing off in some ways. You see them. There are clusters of them gathering at the temple and elsewhere, reading and teaching and debating Moses' law. It's the center of everything. It's all you have. It's all you know. It's all your people have known. You know, we do something for 10 years, and then everybody's like, we always did it that way. I, I, I've been here long enough to know, no, <laughs> we haven't always done it that way, and hopefully we won't always do it that way. But just imagine it doing it that way for 1,500 years. The same way, the same sacrifices, the same priests. See, with the coming of Jesus and the writing of the New Testament... And the practice of the church that, that, that comes to birth around Christ and the apostles as they, as they follow on the life of Christ. All the focus, all of it, turns onto the glory of Jesus Christ. All of the focus. All the rest of it is gone. All of that which was the life of Israel and its religion, all of it is gone for the Christian and for everybody come 70 AD. But it's gone. Right? There's only Jesus. Right? It, it's, the rest of it is like a dream when you wake up. It's gone. And then all you have is your waking reality and some vague recollections of of it, Jesus is like the sun of a new day, and when he when he arises, everything else is everything else is overshadowed. It's it's gone. But everything happened on that day before his rising. Everything that happened in the Old Testament, uh, leading up to coming of Jesus, everything was preparing the world for the day when Jesus would live. And die and rise again. All of it was preparing for that day. The whole Old Testament ceremonial, sacrificial system, all of it was simply preparing for that day. It finds its fulfillment, it finds its consummation in one last priest and one last sacrifice came as the last high priest. He's he's the last priest of any kind. I'm not a priest. Shouldn't be any more priests, in my humble opinion. 
He was the last priest. There will never need to be another priest in terms of the office in what was accomplished by them. He put an end to the old covenant and its law and the law of the priesthood. If you remember, the job of the priest is intercession. We said that the priest represents the people to God, right? The prophet represented God to the people, but the priest represented the people to God. He interceded for them. You would find them in the temple praying for God's people and making sacrifice at the center of the priest's intercession. The primary mode of the priest's intercession for God's people was the sacrifice. Sacrifices were made. At the very center of Moses' law and the temple worship is this elaborate system of sacrifice because of the sins of the people. Nobody in the Old Testament was saved by law. If they were, you wouldn't have this elaborate sacrificial system going on every single day for the sins of the people. Sacrifices were made not only for God's people, but the priests had to make sacrifice for themselves in order to turn away God's wrath. That's how he, he intercede. This sacrifice would die in the place of his people, would die in the place of his priest. His people deserved to die. They didn't keep the law. They were a sinful people, right, like we are. And they deserved to die, but they didn't die. The, the wrath of God was turned away from his people by the intercession of the priest who interceded with a sacrifice who would bear, in that sense, the wrath of God in their place. Verses 20 and 21, we read that Jesus was appointed. It was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests. They were made such without an oath. But this one, this one was made a priest by an oath. By the one, by the Lord God, who said to him, the Lord himself has sworn and he will not change his mind. He will not change his mind. This is a permanent change. This is a permanent reality. When God says, I'm not going to change my mind, that's it. You are a priest forever. Forever. One last priest appointed by God's oath, not on the basis of the law, right? But as we saw last week, on, on the basis of an indestructible life, a life that goes on forever, and a life that has the power to save. See, God's oath then supersedes and it replaces and it abolishes the Old Testament law of priesthood. His oath abolishes it. He has sworn and he will not change his mind. Jesus will be the priest forever. And God steps into the thousand and five hundred year old system of priests and sacrifice and temple, and God steps in and he appoints a new priest. Just one. It's not on the basis of all of that anymore. But by his oath, he makes him one. God says he's one, so he is. Right? God said it, and that's it. William Barclay says, Whatever God confirms by an oath becomes something so utterly unchangeable that it is woven into the very fiber of the universe and must remain forever. God displaces the old covenant with an oath, establishing Jesus as the last priest. The last priest introduces a better covenant, right? That's verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor. He guarantees a better covenant. It's better than all of that. 
they were, they, the people in Jesus' time would have a hard time letting go of all that. You and I, if I just changed the color of something in here, you would have a hard time letting go of that. Like if we changed the chairs and put a pew in here, you might have a hard time. Some of you would love it. You know, but whatever change we make, you're going to have, somebody's going to have a hard time with it. And so you can see the people, if you put yourself in their place, they, they would wrestle with this the way we've always done it. It's God's law. And we've been following his law, pleasing God in this way. And so with the coming of Jesus, there is this difficulty, but, but what Jesus does is better. And it's helping them to see. In fact, the entire book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews, to, to Jews, trying to help them to see this is better. This is better than what you had. Way better. Jesus is way better than anything that you have had. It's the final covenant, the new covenant. It puts an end to the old. And so in verse 22, the last word in the Greek, as this is written in the Greek, now here it says it makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant, but it actually says something like God made him a guarantor of a new covenant, Jesus. He's the last word in the sentence. God made him the guarantor of a new covenant, Jesus, the appointed one, God's own son. See, part of the inadequacy and the incompleteness and the ineffectiveness of the old covenant was that it was weak. The, the priests were weak. They were sinful. They, they died. Since verse 23, the former priests, they were many in number because they were prevented by death. They just kept dying from continuing in the office. So you needed another one and another one and another one. The law of Moses created literally a parade of priests over the, the decades and the centuries. Just a, a parade of priests and a river of blood is the law of Moses. Interceding for his people. Priest after priest. They kept on sinning. The people kept on sinning. The priests kept on dying. But priest after priest, sacrifice after sacrifice, year after year, the people kept on sinning. Priest after priest, sacrifice after sacrifice, year after year. It just kept going on and kept going on and going on. A parade of priests, a river of blood. But this was never God's plan to go on forever. It was not his plan that this should go on forever, into eternity. This is how you're going to be mediated before God and be accepted by him forever and ever, is this parade of priests and a river of blood. That's not his plan. It was a temporary placeholder until the coming of Messiah. God's plan was to appoint a priest who lives forever. This is verse 24. But he holds his priesthood, Lord Jesus, permanently because he continues forever. So his priesthood will never end. One last priest you only need one last one because his priesthood will never end. He doesn't die, so he doesn't need to be replaced. There doesn't need to be another one. He is the perfect priest. He will continue forever, permanent, unchangeable, non-transferable. It's a non-transferable office, unlike the Aaronic priesthood. He is the end of the line for the priests. God's oath. You are a priest forever. Last, only, perfect. Priest, right? And that's what we're told as he goes on to tell him. He's, he's the perfect priest 
And he's the perfect sacrifice. Right? He's, the, he's the last one, not only because he never needs replacing, but he's, the, he's perfect. Not only he's never replaced, doesn't need replacing, but he doesn't need sacrifice for himself either. The old priests, they had to sacrifice for themselves before they could offer for you. They weren't acceptable. And until they got made acceptable, they couldn't stand and mediate for you. So they're mediating for themselves. And Jesus doesn't need all that. In verse 26, skipping a verse that we'll come back to. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest who is holy. He is innocent. He is unstained. He is separated from sinners. He is exalted above the heavens. Right? We know that Jesus lived a truly human life. That, that God was incarnate in Christ and he lived a truly human life for us. As one of us. He became one of us. Shared our humanity. Our temptation. And yet it says he was unstained. Innocent. Unstained. Separated from sinners. And he continued to bear in his incarnation the unbroken, the untarnished image of God. And he remained unfallen and the image was unbroken. He is the image of God. The one that we lost in the fall. The one that needs to be renewed if we're going to be accepted. And he is the image of God in its fullness in a human form. That is now we are being remade in the image of Christ. Being remade in the image of God. In 4.15, if you remember in Hebrews, a couple chapters ago, it said that he was tempted in every way like we are yet, he was without sin. This makes him a better priest. A sinless priest who never dies. Needs no sacrifice. He is strong and he is sinless. He has lived the life that you and I should be living right now. The life that you and I want to live, the life that he calls us to live, the life that is described here in the, Christ, in the, in the scripture, the character and the person and the, the life that we're supposed to be, that we're supposed to live out and fail every single day to do. Jesus lived that life. Jesus was that man, the one true man, the, one, the second Adam, the perfect Adam, the last Adam, the last who was human as humanity was meant to be. And so Jesus was and is everything God intends. But he was separated from sinners, verse 26. Unstained, innocent, holy, and separated from sinners. And in that sense, he is not one of us. He's one of us and he's truly human, tempted in all ways like as we are. But he is not one of us in the sense that he is separated from sinners, that he is holy and innocent, that he succeeds where we fail. And so he is the Lamb of God who is beautiful in his holiness. And so the grave could not hold him. It did not hold him. Right? This is verse 26. He's exalted above the heavens. Right? The grave could not, the grave holds us apart from, from he who is the resurrection. The grave holds us. But it could not hold him. He was exalted, it tells us, above the heavens. He did not rise to this life like Lazarus was to die again, but he was exalted above the heavens, never to die again, into an undying life, an eternal life, the life that we hope to share, that we have been promised to share one day. Acts 2.24 tells us God raised him up. 
loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible that the grave should hold him. He was holy. He was innocent. He was unstained. He was the eternal son of God and he experienced death, but he did it for us. He didn't deserve death, but he died anyway. He went in our place as the perfect priest offering the perfect sacrifice. He experiences death to conquer it. So verse 27 tells us that as a priest is perfect, so also is his sacrifice. 27, it says he has no need like those of the priest to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins. He's holy, he's innocent, he needs no sacrifice. And then for the the sins of the people, since he did this once and for all, when he offered up himself, he did it once and for all, the perfect sacrifice. It only had to be once, and it was for all. And it only had to be once because it accomplished the purpose of the sacrifice. And we're going to see as we press into some of these next chapters how the sacrifices in the Old Testament didn't cover one sin. Not one. A river of blood and sin remains apart from the blood of Jesus. But he's the perfect sacrifice once and for all. Right? We, we were reminded at the outset that the central job of the, of the priest is to, is to intercede for God's people. And the main way that he intercedes is by offering sacrifice to turn away the wrath of God against the sins of his people. And Jesus does this, but he's only got to do it one time. The last priest, the perfect priest, with the last sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, that sacrifice which is powerful and effective and is able to actually save, to to forgive sin and to bring acceptance with God in his own blood. It says that he offered up himself on the cross. The Old Testament was drenched in blood. The last priest offers one last perfect sacrifice that is effective and powerful and perfect once for all. And not just for all in the New Testament, but I'm going to argue as the weeks goes on and show you, but for everybody in the Old Testament. Nobody in the history of the world was saved except by the blood of Jesus. There is no other. Not Old Testament or new. Never was, never will be. From before the foundations of the world, he was appointed as the Lamb of God before the world was made. As the one sacrifice that would save. He offered up himself, holy, innocent, sinless, unstained, undeserving of such wrath and of the punishment of of sin, of, of on him that was poured out was for us and for our sin that he stood in our place where all the old Old Testament sacrifice show us the need for sacrifice. That Jesus would be that one. 1 Peter 1.19 says he was ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He did it once and for all. For all who would be saved, There will never be another one. And Hebrews has made it clear, there is no other one. 
You're not going to wait for one, and if you blow this one, you're not going to get another one. This is the one. The once for all. 1 John 1, 7 says, the blood of Jesus, His Son. The blood of Jesus, His Son, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Once for all who would be saved and for all of their sin. All of your sin past, all of your present sin you're struggling with now, all of your sin that you will ever struggle with, once for all, for all of it. There won't be another sacrifice. You don't need another one. And if you have Christ, then it is already covered. It is already paid. The hell of wrath that was deserved against your sin was paid for once and for all, for all of it. If you're in Christ, he knew when you accepted him, you're not going to be sinless till you die. In fact, he tells us if we claim that we have no sin, we lie. We know that we continue to struggle with it, and we will until the day we're there. We struggle toward holiness. We want to be like Jesus, and we we pursue sanctification. But he knows that it is a struggle. He knows that it is a process. He knows that you're not holy in yourself. He makes you righteous with the righteousness of Christ, so you stand perfect with him right now. And forever, the day will come, we said, the perfection that we're aiming toward, that perfection, that day when we will see, we will be like him when we see him face to face and we see him as he is and we will be without sin. That day is coming. But what I'm trying to tell you now is that if you are struggling, he knew that. Which is why Paul says, one thing I do is I forget what is behind and I strive toward what is ahead. I I brush off yesterday and I strive today. And I'll brush off tomorrow, I'll brush off today, and I'll strive that day, and the next day, and the next day, after the high calling that is ours in Christ to be like Him, to know Him, and to love Him by the virtue of His own sacrifice, the righteousness that's already mine, living out of that righteousness by the power of His Spirit to pursue this life, but we're strugglers whose sin has already been forgiven once for all of it. Romans 3, 24 and 5 says, we are justified. That means you stand justified right now. The only way that could be is if all of your sin, once and for all, was dealt with, that you would stand right and accepted before God. We are justified by His grace as a gift. None of us have earned it. None of us can deserve it. It came through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God Himself put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation is that word. It's a, it's, a, it's a sacrifice of atonement that both brings forgiveness of our sin and satisfies the wrath of God. God himself put him forward as a propitiation to be received by faith. And so we can receive him. We can receive this. Re- if you will receive this redemption as a gift, by putting your faith, as it says, your faith in this one, the Lord Jesus. He says, if you will trust him, you will receive this redemption in the blood of Christ. He says, you will be perfectly and utterly forgiven and saved. That's what he says in verse 25. I skipped it. I wanted to end here. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who will draw near to God through him because he always lives to make an intercession for them. 
He's able to save to the uttermost. If you'll make your approach to God through Christ, those who make their approach to him, he says, through me, I am able to save to the uttermost. Uttermost. In the lexicon, it tries to define this word. It means completely, utterly, holy, forever, for all time. Totally and forever. To the uttermost. Now and forever. We are justified by his blood. To the last completing act of our salvation. Till the day is finished and complete. It needs nothing more. It needs nothing more. If you are saved in Christ, it needs nothing more. It won't change. From the day you received it to the day you enjoy the full consummation of it, there's nothing else to be added. Nothing else can be given. You can't be any more righteous than you are today if you are in Christ because you're righteous with His righteousness. You stand in His righteousness before the Father. And so you are, if the Son is accepted and He's exalted to the heavens and sits at the right hand of the Father, Ephesians tells us that we also are seated with Him in the heavenly places as if we're already there. He is already to the uttermost means forever till it doesn't end. This is what Romans 8 is trying to tell us when it says that those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he calls, he justifies. And those whom he justifies, he glorifies. Same people involved in every one of those phrases. And that is a complete salvation, my friends. That is from beginning to end. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. That's to the uttermost. You are saved till glorification. He says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And it's to the uttermost until that day. Dane Ortland says, we are the, to the uttermost sinners. So we need a uttermost Savior will take it down to the depth and breadth of my sin, the uttermost of my sin, past, present, and future, the uttermost of it. I need a Savior who can do the, to the uttermost, even the sins I'm going to sin tomorrow, because if I only get it through today, I'm in big trouble tomorrow, much less next year. But to the uttermost, He is able to the depth and breadth of my sin, but also to the length of my life into eternity, that there's nothing I need to fear in the future. If you remember how Romans 8 ends, he says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall he say the past or the future? Powers that be, can they intervene? Any struggle or temptation, any trial, any, any sword or poverty? Or... He says, no, nothing. Because he saved you to the uttermost. Which means there is nothing that can separate you. See, he makes this so clear by saying, by telling us, he always lives to make intercession for them. The intercession that began when you trusted him, when you put your faith in him and loved him and he became your redeemer, your intercessor, your mediator, your high priest. When that started, he says he ever lives now. This is the beauty of his priesthood. He lives forever and he'll never stop interceding for you. And I just ask you, if Jesus is interceding for you, is he gonna fail? Can he fail? I call that blasphemy. He cannot. He will not. He's alive forever at the right hand of the Father, interceding 
mediating, standing in the gap for you as your perfect high priest, bearing in his hands his perfect sacrifice, his own self offered up for you. And it pleads in the presence of the Father, he says, now and forever. That will stand us. As I said, the Old Testament system, the, the, the parade of priests in the river of blood was not meant to be forever, but my friends, this is. This is. He represents you forever. If Jesus represents you, you'll never need another. Revelation 5, 6 gives us this picture between the throne and the four living creatures. And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. Standing between you and the justice of God is this lamb standing in the throne room of heaven as though he had been slain, the perfect priest in sacrifice, interceding for you. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, do you have one who you know will plead your case before the justice of God now and forever? And if you don't, Christ is that one being offered. And if we would trust him, then he can save us to the uttermost. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. To the day of Christ. Is there any doubt in that sentence? Oh, except for you maybe. Right? Or except if, well, unless you do this, then the work he began. You know. right? No, you just, he who began, and this is the beauty that is not dependent on you. He who began the good work, he will complete it. He will, he sustains us. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you worry about that day? In some sense, we should have some concern about that day. But it is our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you until that day. How does he do it? Well, he's interceding for you. Do you remember when Peter was going to face the most intense trial of his life? Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. It's a time of confusion. It's a time of fear. It's a time of, of, of denial for Peter. And before this happens, Jesus comes to Peter. Before it happens, and he says, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you. It's going to get ugly. He wants to sift you like wheat. But here's the thing, my friend. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Tells him before it happens. Reminds him after it happens. The devil roars like a lion seeking whom he may devour. But somebody's praying for you that your faith may not fail. The Lord Jesus ever lives, pleading his blood on your behalf. The salvation, the merit that he purchased, the redemption that he purchased for you, he pleads it forever. He's the guarantor of a new covenant with his own blood. His atoning merit stands before the mercy seat of God. Our precious Redeemer has the power and the readiness to save. My friend, do you know this? Do 
you believe this. In, in our deepest trial, he, he told this to Peter when he was going to go through his deepest trial. Whatever trial you are facing, whatever struggle you have, whatever pain you are suffering, whatever in this veil of tears that we have to go through as we were just singing, I have to go through this valley, whatever it is, can you lift your eyes and see and know that he's praying for you? And he said, my, my prayers are answered. I am the perfect high priest interceding with my own and he's interceding for you and he will not fail and you will not fall. Do you trust him? Is your hope in faith in Jesus Christ alone? Do you cast all your cares on him? Martin Luther said, it is a terrible thing to think about God without Christ. It's a terrible thing to think about standing in the justice of God without Christ. But my friend, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who you sent as a propitiation for us that you by your oath gave him to us as a mediator. And that by his perfect mediation and by his blood, we are saved to the uttermost. And I pray, Father, we would know it, that it would be from this place that we would live our Christian life. That we are saved to the uttermost and so we can pursue and serve you to the uttermost, free by your grace in which we stand. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.